Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Welcome to Passing the Mantle. If this is your first service at Passing the Mantle 2022, if it is your first service, I'm not sure where you've been, but we've been here since Thursday night, Friday night, perhaps the greatest attended Passing the Mantle in 24 years of history. There were some 500 here yesterday morning at 10 a.m. I would say that's hunger. I would say that's hunger. And we not only have a nice title for this conference, but we really mean it. It's not just a nice biblical paradigm and theme, but we really mean it at the Life Church. And I want to say to all of our church family this morning that this is the one Sunday a year that is dedicated to a conference. Turn to somebody and say, this is a conference. It's a conference. That means it's a little different. That means there's people here. We've had people here from Oregon, Florida, Alabama, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arkansas, Iowa, Minnesota, probably 12 states or more. Amen. So you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm the keynote speaker today. And I want to say, first of all, that Pastor Justin Gleason set a night of anointing last night. His message was biblically brilliant and apostolically applied. And a discourse on the priestly garments and the handoff of 69 generations from Aaron to Jesus. Followed by a powerful night of anointing. And then concluded with an epic apostolic message. And what I loved about Caleb Herring's message last night, which he preached, by the way, on his 29th birthday. They already sang happy birthday to him last night. We have sufficiently regaled and embarrassed him. And he's well deserving of any honor we can give him. But I leaned over to Pastor Justin last night while he was preaching. I said, what I love about this message, it's a passing the mantle message. And uh, if you would have got if you would have come in here last night about 945 and didn't know what was going on, you would have thought a bomb exploded in here. There was people laying all over the floor and seeking God. This morning, on the occasion of the last service of 
passed in the mantle 2022. I reference Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which gives us an often quoted poetic and insightful observation of seasons and times of life. For example, verse 1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Everybody say a season. A season's not a lifetime. A season begins, comes to fruitfulness, and it closes. And the wise man says there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Time to mourn, time to dance. Time to plant, a time to pluck up. I believe it was, not sure if it was Thursday or Friday, but Jerry Lee Lewis found out there's a time to die. Great balls of fire. He's so old, 75% of this congregation never even heard of him. But some celebrate him as one of the inventors of rock and roll and it's sad because he grew up Pentecostal but there was another man that died Jerry Lee Lewis will be mourned and celebrated all over the world this man won't but he impacted the world much further than Jerry Lee Lewis did his name was T.L. Craft at the age of 91 one of the great 20th century apostles, Bible college educator, impacting generations. He also died. I don't know what happened to Tommy Jerry Lee Lewis, but I know that Tommy Kraft is in the presence of the Lord. So the wise man said a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up. I wish he would have included one more transition and said there's a time to hold on and there's a time to let go. And that's what passing the mantle is all about. Here's how Jesus said it. You know Jesus? You know, the founder of the church. The great example Paul said, I'm following him so you can follow me. And if your leader's following Jesus, you can follow your leader. Here's what Jesus said in John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. And then I'm out of here. Well, because I'm going to be with the Father. Huh? The things that I'm doing, did he say, what I'm doing? Don't you do it. I'm the only star of this show. Don't you take down my trophies. See my trophy case? The Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, Capernaum, Nazareth, Jerusalem. You see that cross there? You see the miracles and the wonders and signs. That's my legacy. I'm protecting my legacy like Fort Knox. 
I'm, I'm counting up my trophies. I'm, 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 I'm running up the score and, and, and I want to be the only star of this show. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Come on, he's saying, listen, you all, what I'm doing, I want you to do it just like I did it. And I'm going to train you to do it. And I'm going to equip you to do it. And I'm going to empower you to do it. And I'm going to believe in you to do it. And then you're going to start doing it. And you're going to do it so well that I won't have to hang around to look over your shoulder and to investigate you and and to scrutinize you and interrogate you. And I'm out of here. Amen. Everybody all right? Jesus had a succession plan. We all would be wise to do the same. He was intentional about situating and aligning that plan. I'm preaching you about passing the mantle. His entire three and a half year ministry was spent making room for the next generation. I want to ask you a question today. I don't care how old you are. Are you going to be a one and done? When it's your time to step off the stage, are you going to leave anybody behind you with your finger with your fingerprints on them? With your DNA in them? Has anyone ever said You know, you remind me of your father. You remind me of your mother. Now, if that's a DNA deal, we get that. But has anybody who's not related to you ever said to you, you know, when you pray, you remind me of somebody that really knew how to pray. When you worship, you really capture the worship essence of that elder that was in your church. When you preach, you sound a little bit like so-and-so. Is it all right, amen, to imitate somebody? I'm telling you, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here's what that means. If you don't know how to do it, find somebody that knows how to do it and start doing it like they're doing it. There's a lot of worse people in the world to imitate than some of the elders that are in this building today. So if you're not sure what your model is, if you're not sure what your job description is, pick somebody out and say, I admire their worship. I admire their prayer life. I admire the way they sacrifice and find somebody to be like. As long as they're reaching for Jesus. What shape would the church be in today if Jesus would have never mentored anyone? What if he'd have just been a superstar? And ride out of his palace in a chariot, park in the parking lot, go to his office, come to the platform. Preach the Sermon on the Mount, do a few miracles, go back to his office, get in his chariot, go back to his palace. 
What if he was a superstar? Don't touch me. Nobody gets my cell phone number. Don't bother me. I'm, I'm high and I'm holy. I'm, I'm, I'm in my, my holy sanctimonious mode. Is that the kind of a savior that we worship today? Or was he the kind of a man that said, hey, let the little kids come in here. Come on. Come on. I think Jesus would have given out his cell phone number. I think Jesus would have been hanging out, amen, with people. He didn't just spend time with the multitude. He wasn't just a superstar preacher on Sunday. When Sunday was over, he came off the mountain. He came out from behind the pulpit. You will never change a generation. You will never impact a generation from behind a pulpit. You got to come out from behind the pulpit and you got to hang out and you got to let your spirit reach out and touch somebody. Am I preaching about Jesus? We'll be like Jesus. On Fish and Chips Sunday. You know, the day he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. The Bible said the multitude walked away. John 666. If you want to know the reference, <laughs> quick, call Irvin Baxter. Wait, he's already with the Lord. <clears throat> and <clears throat> how did that go? Not too well. 20,000 people, free food, giveaway, dinner on the grounds. Huh? They all left. Why? Because they're consumers. Looking for a better deal. Jacob's on the back row with his wife, Sarah, and the three kids. Well, that was a nice meal, free stuff, see cool things. That's a great attraction model church. Where do you want to go to church next Sunday? And Jesus preached commitment. He said, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you and no part of me. What's he doing? He's offering the call to discipleship. He's not offering the call to a superstar mega church. He's not offering the call to a show with lights and smoke and a brilliant worship team. But he's offering the call to discipleship. I'm not interested in an attraction model. I'm interested in a discipleship model. And I'm not afraid to to preach commitment. Jesus preached commitment. And Peter, James, and John, the executive committee, they're in the office after the service. Boy, Jesus blew that. We had 20,000. They all left. They all walked out before he's done preaching. Jesus comes in, says, will you also go away? You see, at the end of the day, when the multitude left, there were 12 that didn't leave because they weren't consumers. They were disciples. And Peter said, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Lord, because you have the words of eternal life. And I want to know today, amen, are you going to be like Jesus? 
Are you going to be like Jesus? Are you just going to be happy to be saved and sanctified and justified and petrified for the rest of your life? Are you going to be happy to just come and go to church and come to church three times a week and pay your tithes and sing in the choir? Or are you going to turn around and say, who's, who's out there that wants to follow me? Who's out there? I'm willing to give my life. I'm willing to invest my life. Amen. Do you want a Bible study? Are you hungry for more of God? Do you want to grow? Come on. We need to get out of this consumer mentality. Amen. Are you a consumer or are you a disciple? This is passing the mantle. Praise God. Jesus had earned the right to choose his successors. Jesus earned the right to have influence than in the next generation of leaders. He didn't throw that vote to the consuming multitude. He was not a one and done isolated superstar. I'm preaching to my generation right now. But he earned the right to have a say. Jesus knew the tragedy of holding on too long. And he also knew the triumph of letting go. Jesus did not make his hand off to the next generation of apostolic leaders when he was 85 or 75 or 65. Or 45. Or even 35. He didn't hang on. But he let go. He didn't hold on. But he released. His anointing. He released. His spirit. He released. His mantle. He released. His life. His model, his example, his teaching, he trained 12 disciples who were the next generation of apostolic leaders. He did not only give them the Holy Ghost, but he gave them his validation. He gave them his approval. He celebrated them. Amen. When they came back after the 70 went out by two, they came back and said devils were subject. And we always want to impugn the disciples because of Jesus' words. Rejoice not because demons are subject, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. But I want to tell you that the Bible said in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced. Woo! When you look up that word rejoice, he wasn't, he wasn't like, oh, you ain't no big deal. Look at my trophies. <laughs> you cast out devils. For every trophy you cast out, I cast out a thousand. Huh? No, the Bible said in that hour, 
they came back. You know why? This was a test market. This was a test market for the apostolic church. They hadn't even been baptized yet. They hadn't even been filled with the Holy Ghost yet. And it's already working because they're under authority. Amen. And devils are coming out and they come back and they're excited. And Jesus didn't push them down. Jesus didn't belittle them for what they were trying to do. Jesus was excited. It's going to work. My kingdom's going to work. The church is going to go. We're going to take dominion. We're going to conquer the world. And the Bible said he rejoiced. That means uh, he danced. Uh, he twirled. He shouted. It's going to happen. Come on, I wish somebody would rejoice today. <laughs> Jesus loved the handoff more than the hold on. I wish I could preach this to everybody over 60 years of age. He fulfilled Ephesians 4.11. Jesus gave apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher for the equipping of the saints. That literally means to train, teach, empower, and release. I was just in a meeting in another state between the North and the South Pole. And one young preacher, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's never stopped me before. He said, I was in a church and I loved my pastor, but he wasn't training anybody. No preachers have ever come out of that church. He never developed anybody. He never trusted anybody, never believed in anybody. He believes in dominion, but it's more like dictatorship. He said, I know that God's called me to do something. I sat down and I talked with him. All he would do is pat my shoulder and say, well, just keep praying. I've been having that conversation for years. He said, I finally realized I had to be somewhere. I had to go somewhere where there was a vision. Let me tell you something. The Bible said without a vision, the people perish. And there's, let me tell you how it probably should read. Without a vision, the people will go to another parish. I'm not going to be a part of a church that's twice dead, plucked up by the roots when there's so much to do and there's so many things to accomplish in the kingdom of God. Amen. If you're from another church today, you need to thank God for a pastor that has a vision that released you to come to passing the mantle where you can be impacted for the next generation. Jesus was apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He equipped his 12 for the work of the ministry to go make disciples and baptize them. If you were to encapsulate the spirit, the attitude, the vision, the methodology of Jesus and synthesize it and boil down his leadership legacy, it would have to be John 14, 12. I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. And I'm out of here. When you study Romans 12, 
There are seven spiritual gifts. And the one I want to focus on right now is teacher. God is doing something in the 21st century to elevate the teacher. And some of the gifts are exhorter, teacher, administrator, intercessor, prophet, server. And in case you're wondering, I'm an exhorter. That's my gift. And I do it very well. Let me tell you about exhorters. I just had an exhorter moment. Brother Herring was in my office and I looked at my watch and said, oh, I got a baby dedication. And Danny and Angela brought their two little twin boys, Antonio and Asher, and gave me the privilege of dedicating them to the Lord this morning. And I told Brother Herring, I said, oh, I better get, I got to do a baby dedication. I better get a scripture. <laughs> you got to have a scripture if it's going to be legal. Exhorters always have a message. They're always ready to go. They're always the one that's, they're the sandpaper in the room that's saying, come on, let's get up and go. What's holding up the delay? They're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. They're ready to go bear hunting with a stick. We'll figure it out later. Let's get going. If you want to know what I'm about, that's me. Let's go. Woo-hoo. But you got to get a verse to make it legal. (laughs) But Jesus, he was all of those gifts. He operated in all the gifts of the spirit. He operated in all seven spiritual gifts. And he was all five offices of the fivefold ministry. But if you were to highlight and say which gift did Jesus most often operate in it would have to be teacher rabbi when you synthesize the four gospels the most dominant gift he operated in was rabbi teacher and I know teachers very well because I grew up in the home of a five-fold ministry teacher I got him profiled here's what a teacher does four things they love to study that ain't me I have to dig and claw and scratch and, you know, put, you give some, you give a teacher 25 books, stick them in a library with a pot of coffee. They're happy for days. In five minutes, I'm like, oh man, I got to get out of here. Not a teacher. They love to study. Teachers love to share what they've learned, their discovery. They love to see, the third thing, they love to see the light come on. (laughs) That's their reward. But there's one more thing. A real teacher loves to see their disciple go beyond them. Real teachers don't turf protect. Real teachers are not territorial. Real teachers don't take out big pieces of chalk and draw a circle around their spot and say, don't you dare step in my spot. 
Real teachers draw the circle, but then they step out and usher somebody else in. Amen. If somebody can do it better, go ahead. Can I tell you something? Somebody's going to come into the church someday that can sing better than you, that can play better than you, that has gifts that are greater than you. They're going to preach better than you. They're going to have more miracles than you've ever had. Are you going to sit there and have a cow while they're out there doing a great work for God? Or are you going to have the spirit of Barnabas who said, go, Paul, go, 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 go. We're on a team. We're in a party. Partnership, I'm passing the mantle. There is one death per person. Unless, of course, you're Lee Stone King. He told passing the mantle one year, he said, I died. It's not that big of a deal. (laughs) He said, somebody asked me, did you see a bright light? No, I didn't. (laughs) He said, Jesus knows if I would have seen heaven, I would have never wanted to come back. Everybody gets one death per person. There's one transition per apostolic Pentecostal believer. You decide. You can either be intentional and have a voice and bring your influence and your fingerprint and your DNA. And you can make a choice to pave a road for the next generation. Or you can die with your boots on. Let the grim reaper pry that baton from your stiff clutch. And you have no say, no voice, no influence, no input on who your successor is. I want to speak really especially now to my generation. There was this feeling when I was growing up in the apostolic church that the elders had, and it was something like this. Well, by God, I had to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I had to walk to school and walk home, and it was uphill both ways. And I had to tough it out. And buddy, you're going to have to just figure it out. They thought that that was the way. They placed those demands on that next generation. Is that what Jesus did? Was that his attitude? Huh? Where's that in the Bible? When I was in Bible school, we were all shaking our boots about having to go meet the district board to get our license because we heard all these scary stories that shook us to our core and intimidated us. And 
like, oh my God. What if they ask me, who's Melchizedek? <laughs> what was that question that board member asked you, Justin? Which way did the temple face or something? Some ridiculous. <laughs> Remember what it was? Yeah, which way was the tabernacle facing? You're like, does this mean if I don't answer it right, I don't get my license? (laughs) When I became district superintendent in 2002 in Missouri, I gave a lecture to our district board. I said those, I think I said them, them days are over. Because it's not their lucky day to come and meet the board. It's our lucky day. They want to come and sit in front of the board. Is that what Fortune 500 companies do when they've got someone with a master's or a bachelor's or, or some sort of a degree that they paid for, they worked hard for, and they come and sit in, a, in, the, in the decision makers of a Fortune 500 company and they intimidate them and belittle them and make them feel stupid? No, they want them. They're offering everything they can. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's never stopped me before. My son, Caleb, went into the district board and they, somebody said, let's do the silent treatment. So he walks in there, stand up, Caleb. Look at that face. Who would want to give a license to a young man that just graduated from Urshan? Summa cum laude. No. Subcommittee says, let's give him the silent treatment. Here comes Gleason. Let's give him the silent treatment. He walks in there, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, excited, going to change the world. And these seasoned, experienced ministers are like, who wants to sign up for that? They should have all stood up, (laughs) shook his hand. Welcome to the family. We're proud you're here. We're going to go reach the world. This is what I'm, I feel, I feel something right now. We need to believe in the next generation. You are awesome. You got to go do it. You've got to go do it, and we believe in you. And by the way, you can be seated. I told our bishop, Brian Parkey, he was so mad he could have crushed a grape. He said, man, I'm taking care of that. He was ticked off, and I mean that in a good apostolic way. Everybody all right? So now, let me preach to the millennials and the Gen Z's. Here's what I want you to say to each other and here's what I want you to preach to each other. Tell your generation, don't be stupid. Don't 
Don't be a novice. Be mature beyond your years. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Get ready to do something. And then while you're getting ready, do something anyway. Here's what you need to tell your generation. Be experienced beyond your experience. How do you do that? Watch me. Watch Pastor Justin. Watch Caleb Herring. If they do it, then you do it. If they don't do it, then don't you do it. Look at Jesus. If Jesus did it, you can do it. If Jesus said it, you can say it. If he didn't do it, don't you do it. If he treated people one way, you can treat them that way. If he didn't treat them that way, then don't treat them that way. Come on. Watch somebody. Let me tell you something. My pastor, S.G. Norris, from the time I was born, he dedicated me to the time I graduated from Bible school, president of my class. At age 21, I had three conversations with him. Three. He didn't even know my first name. But I didn't care. I watched him. He was a Bible college president. He's got 350 students. He's got a church of 700. He's not going to have time to hang out with me and have coffee with me and give me his cell phone number. I didn't care about that. All I knew was I wanted to be like him. I wanted to preach like him. I wanted to catch his anointing. In fact, one time when I was eight years old, he called for the sick to come forward. I broke away from my mother and I ran up to the front and he anointed my head and he put his hand on my head. And when I came back, my mom jerked my ear and said, what are you doing going up there? You're not sick. I said, Mom, I just want to feel Pastor's hand on my head. She said, never mind. (laughs) Listen, if you've got that, if you want to come under spiritual authority, you can catch an anointing. Some things are better caught than taught anyway. You can catch it. If I'm anything today, I've got a few drips of anointing of S.G. Norse and Wendell Gleason and Charles Dyson and Norman R. Pasley. I've got a few drips of anointing because I studied them. I watched them. I listened to them. I took notes. That's what you need to say to your generation. Listen, millennials, Gen Z's, everybody pays a price. I don't have to make you pay your price. I'm going to say something you've never heard anybody over 60 in the church ever say. Somebody comes up to me and says, this is what the, the one that generation that trained me. I'm called to preach. Okay, here's a toilet plunger. I'm called to preach. Here's a vacuum cleaner. Is that what we want to raise up as toilet cleaners? Huh? How about saying, you know what? I affirm that. I've been watching you. I've seen you in the altar. I'm going to validate. Can, you, can we hang out after church tomorrow morning for a few minutes? And I want to talk to you about your future. I want to talk to you about this call. Would you like to come into a class? It's by invitation only. Maybe you're a candidate for Bible college. Wouldn't that be a little bit better answer than go find the vacuum cleaner?
Come on, what do we want to raise? I understand the value of serving. I've done it all. My favorite ministry when I was 15 was the donut ministry. It got me to bus ministry at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning because they had donuts. Now you know why I turned out so good. This is passing the mantle. There's a time to hang on. And there's a time to let go. Now that I'm in my mid-60s, exactly, I've been thinking more about my legacy and I'm asking myself questions like, what have I done with my life that will live beyond me? Have the people that I've touched gotten better or worse after my impact? Did I leave a trail of bodies behind or did I leave a wake of hail and hearty followers? What will be said of me after I'm gone? My family hates it when I talk like this. At my funeral, will my colleagues speak glowingly over my casket, but privately stroke their chins and whisper to each other, too bad he hung on too long. He pulled everything down when he went down. Will I listen to a family or a close friend about delaying my resignation more than I listen to God? Will I follow through on my transition plan or will I succumb to countless others before who bowed to the code of just one more Sunday in the saddle? I'm a baby boomer. This is a generation that seems to be in denial of its mortality. Author Earl Kreps agrees. In his book, Off-Road Disciplines, he said of the boomers, hair implants, vitamin elixirs, Botox injections, plastic surgeries, exercise machines. They're thinking if the Rolling Stones can still be on tour, maybe there's hope for all of us. He said that baby boomers lead 60% of America's churches. In a sobering reference, he quoted Bill Esom, who said, In another 50 years, Christianity will have about the same influence in the U.S. as it does in Canada or Europe. And his rationale is because baby boomers are loving the holding on more than the handing off to the next generation. And Kreps followed with walking the streets of northern Europe passing one darkened house of worship after another, touring cities in which the odds of meeting a Christ follower hover around one in a hundred. He said, I find Esom's prediction taking a frightening reality. My brothers and sisters, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant a church and there's time to be plucked up out of the church you planted. There's a time to train and a time to teach and a time to model. I wish some 25-year-old would listen to me right now and not forget what I'm telling you. There's a time to empower, but then there's a time to let go. There's a time to let somebody else step up. Amen. How many good ideas do you have? How many more revivals do you think you can create? I want you to know that there's a generation coming that are more anointed 
and more apostolic than my generation perhaps ever thought about being. I go to the youth congress and I say those kids are into it more than I ever was when I was 20 years old. And I for one, you're looking at a baby boomer who believes in the next generation. Let's all stand. Cripps said passing the baton begins in the heart with loving the handoff more than the hold on. And here's how he clinched his argument for believing in, loving, and trusting the next generation with this sobering wake-up call. Here's why I believe in them. Here's why I love them. Here's why I trust them. Because no one else is coming. No one else is coming. Caleb, would you bring that stuff? So, my dad was a five-fold ministry teacher. And he taught at Bible school. Thank you for... Now go clean the toilet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> My dad was a Bible school teacher for 35 years. He retired, moved back home to Oregon. And when he was 73, he was diagnosed with melanoma and multiple myeloma. He fought hard for five years, and at age 78, my mom and I and my brother, my older brother and my two older sisters, we, we gathered around the, his deathbed, and he gave us his blessing. He looked at us. He said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord set his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I cherished that moment. It was the handoff. But that's not the day he started the handoff. He started it the day I was born. And perhaps the highlight was when I was 39 in that season of his battle. When in a private moment he looked at me and the true teacher came out and here's what he said. Here's a man that had been the president of a Bible college and he looked at me and he said, son, you have exceeded me. That wasn't true, but he was prophesying to my future. He's saying, don't labor under my shadow. Don't be hanging on to my coattails. Go get your own coattails. Go. I've given you everything I've got. I've trained you. I've modeled everything. Go. So Pam and I, my sister, we went out to visit him. And Warren Havner made this cane made out of several different pieces of wood. It's magnificently crafted. There's a plaque on it. says, handcrafted for Reverend W.C. Gleason. Psalm 37, 23, which says, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Warren Havner. So we're at the gate ready to board and 
they're calling, you know, all the seating, and that's before I had any status with any airline. And they said, all right, anybody that needs a little extra time, go ahead. And, I mean, I'm 39 years old. Here's Pam right next to me. She goes, sir. I'm like, what? I can still throw touchdowns. I can run. I can, what are you talking about? I can put on my skates right now and, and split the defense and go right up the slot and score right now on a hockey break. And I'm like, oh. Well, it was my one chance to take advantage of boarding first. So I'm like, I better make this look good. It's my one shot. And why be boring? So in those days, Donna, and you were there. And Tony, you were there. In those days, pre-9-11... Families could come right to the gate where you get off the plane. And I knew when I landed that my mom and dad would be there. My brother Gary, his wife Linda, Stan, Donna, Tony, and Andy. They would be right there in a line. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could put on a disguise and walk right past them? So I'm in the middle seat. Pam's in the aisle. Some stranger's in the window seat. And he fell asleep for about two hours. And when he woke up, I had on a theatrical mustache. And he sort of went... I said, it was a long flight. And I put on a golf visor and a jacket and sunglasses. I said, Pam, you get about three people behind me. I want to see if I can walk right past my family and fake them out. I was nervous. My heart was beating. So I, I walked out. She had the cane. And I walked out. I walked right past them. I'm like, yes! Now we got a story. They were watching for Pam, and I came up. My mom was last. I said, excuse me, ma'am, do you have the time? She goes, she recognized my voice. She goes, oh, Stanley. <laughs> now, she can call me Stanley, but don't you even think about it. <laughs> I don't know why I told all that. <laughs> Someday I'm going to need this, and I'm going to hang on to it. Because the hand of a great man, his fingerprints are all over this cane. Let me tell you where they really are. They're all over me. And who's got your fingerprints? Are you making disciples? Are you training the next generation? Brother Caleb Herring asked me today, how do you raise four apostolic young people? I said, it's very simple. Be authentic. And secondly... You got to be approachable and love unconditionally and never let the enemy steal your communication. That's how you raise the next generation of apostolic leaders. If Urshan's ready, they can come on out. And I'm sorry, I went eight minutes more than I wanted to, but I'm the founder of Passing the Mantle. to do this but I want Justin and Caleb to come up here they're really a generation apart come here you two you know what these are these are batons and there's something called the handoff zone 
That's the critical point where the lead runner cannot drop the baton prematurely. And it's a delicate dance because he's got to hang on until he feels the hand. Grab it. And then he can let go. And so I'm using my sons, but I want every millennial and I want every generation Z. There's somebody that's looking for you to put a baton in your hand. So you pour water on their hands like Elisha did Elijah. And one day a mantle's going to drop on you. And I want my sons to do greater. And I want them to do more. And I don't want them to labor in my shadow. And guess what? They're more awesome than I could ever be. Because I've trained them. And I've invested in them. And they've got the apostolic DNA. Okay, let go. So I'm running. Come on, guys. I'm running. I got to get in that transition zone where I feel, okay, that's it. It's firm. Now go. And that's what my generation is doing right now. You got to hand it off to somebody. This is what passing the mantle is all about. Lee Stone King couldn't be here. But six years ago when he couldn't make it, the Lord spoke to me and said, the mantle has been passed. He didn't say it's going to be passed in 2025. It has been passed. This is the time. You are the one. You got it. Now go. Come on, I want you to reach up and grab Grab a mantle, grab a baton somewhere. It's falling. You gotta do it better. You heard it last night. Young apostles, young prophets, young evangelists. fall on you. Let an anointing come on you. Last night when the five-fold ministry stretched out their hands, uh, something happened in this house. Something happened in this place. You gotta want it. to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.